Welcome to the weekly Dharma Talk podcast from the Columbus Karma Teksum Choling Buddhist Meditation Center. This week's Dharma Talk is entitled, When You Feel Powerless, by Marcus Casey. In these times of upheaval, we often feel frustrated or angry. Much of that frustration arises because we feel powerless. But are we? If you like our Dharma Talk series, please consider donating to Columbus Karma Texum Choling at columbusktc.org. Enjoy the podcast. My name is Marcus Casey. I'm a volunteer meditation instructor here at Columbus KTC. We're really glad you joined us today. And uh, for those who are local, we are getting very excited about the new center. I was in it a few weeks ago, and it is looking absolutely amazing. I am incredibly excited. While I was working on this talk, Bell Hooks passed away at the age of 69. Now, she was an American author, professor, feminist, and a social activist. And as people memorialized her on social media, I ran across uh, uh, something she said in an interview that really struck a chord with me. She said, we've always thought of our heroes as having to do with death and war. When we think of Joseph Campbell and the whole idea of the heroic journey, it's rarely a journey that's about love. It's about deeds that have to do with conquering and domination, what have you. And so part of what I wanted to do, I think she's talking about a book. And so part of what I wanted to do was to say to people is that living as we do in a culture of domination, to truly choose to love is heroic. To work at love, to really let yourself understand the art of loving. And this is good dharma, isn't it? Current events are very heavy right now. A lot of us feel powerless in the face of an ongoing pandemic, uh, seemingly irreversible climate change, and leaders unwilling or unable to adequately rise to the moment. The last time I gave a talk in October, we examined what our teachers say about the concept of righteous anger. When we see injustice in our world, what is the proper response? What is the root of the outrage we feel when we see injustice? Is it compassion? Well, certainly compassion allows us to empathize with those whom we see as the victims of injustice, but true compassion is universal compassion, compassion for all beings, oppressed and oppressor alike. So what is at the root of that outrage of that anger that boils up. I really got to thinking about this, and, and I think at least for me, a very big component of it is powerlessness. We see unfair systems continue to oppress, and we are powerless to do anything about it. We want to act, and so we rage. We rant on social media, we may march, we may want to be part of a movement that grows until it cannot be ignored because we feel powerless otherwise. It is either a blessing 
or curse <laughs> meditation that we learn to face the inner workings of our minds and deconstruct emotions to get at their root. We don't get to leave the uncomfortable thoughts or emotions alone. I won't say that responses such as marching and posting on Facebook don't do any good, but I think it's clear that they are not resolving our feelings of powerlessness. They do not get to the root of the issue. One thing about Buddhism, it just keeps digging and digging until we get to the root of the issue. Now we know because we've been taught that if there are negative emotions rising, that if we dig far enough, we will find ego clinging at the root. We all suffer from the dissatisfaction of attempting to control things and people who are beyond our control. But thinking about what Bell Hooks said about our culture's view of the heroic journey, could part of our problem be that we see solutions in terms of conquering or domination? We see winners and losers, good guys and villains, and dragons that must be slain. But what if our current predicaments call for a different kind of hero? Heroes who truly love, who really let themselves understand the art of loving. Before we go any further, it is our tradition to say together the four-line refuge prayer when we start our talks. The prayer is in Tibetan. If you don't know it, listen and make the aspiration to awaken and help others to awaken. When we are chanting this, we are repeating our commitment to take refuge in the three jewels, the Buddha, or the goal, what we aspire to, the Dharma, or the path, and the Sangha, our guides and companions on the path. We will chant the prayer once in Tibetan, once in English, and then a second time in Tibetan. Om Sanje Chudang Soki Chognamla Jangju Bardu Dani Kabsuchi Dagi Jin Sogi Pesunangi Drola Pinchir Sanje Druparsho. Until I am enlightened, I take refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. Through the merit I create by practicing generosity and the other perfections, May I attain Buddhahood for the sake of all sentient beings. Om Sanje Chidang Zogi Chonam La Jamchu Bardu Dani Kapsuchi Dagi Jin Zogi Pesunangi Drola Pinchir Sanje Juparsho the 19th century Danish, Danish theologian and philosopher Soren Kierkegaard said, purity of heart is to will one thing. For those who have taken the Bodhisattva vow and are working to follow the path of the Bodhisattva, we work toward a pure heart or mind to reorient all our desires until we will only bodhicitta. We are called to the path of bodhicitta, 
we are called to develop radical compassion and wisdom. Before we go much further, let's make sure we're all on the same page about what we mean when we talk about bodhicitta. I'm going to be referencing two books for this talk. The first is The Way of the Bodhisattva by Shanti Deva, one of my all-time favorite uh, books, as well as a commentary on The Way of the Bodhisattva by Pema Chodron called No Time to Lose. Now, bodhicitta is a Sanskrit word. The most common translation is awakened heart. It refers to an intense desire to alleviate suffering. There are two types of bodhicitta, relative bodhicitta and absolute bodhicitta. On the relative level, Pema Chodron says that relative bodhicitta expresses itself as longing. She said it's, it is the heartfelt yearning to free oneself from the pain of ignorance and habitual patterns in order to help others do the same. The longing to alleviate the suffering of others is the main point. In relative bodhicitta practice, we often start with those closest to us for whom love is already developed and comes easily. But the underlying inspiration is global and all-encompassing. Pema Chodron says that in some ways it is sort of a mission impossible. The desire to end the suffering of all beings, including those, will never meet, as well as those we loathe. On the absolute level, absolute bodhicitta is non-dual wisdom. It is the vast, unbiased essence of mind, your mind and mine. Pema Chodron says it may seem distance, distant, but it is not. It is only as far away as our own mind. Shantideva composed the way of the Bodhisattva to remind himself that he could contact his wisdom mind and help it to flourish. So we are talking about powerlessness about the fact that we have a culturally ingrained idea of power as someone who can conquer adversaries and deliver the oppressed. But let's talk about what Shantideva has to say about power, the power that comes from bodhicitta. For the rest of the talk, I'm going to read select verses from the opening chapter of The Way of the Bodhisattva and then pass along some of the commentary by Panachodra. Shantideva says, just as on a dark night, black with clouds, the sudden lightning glares and all is clearly shown, likewise rarely through the Buddha's power, virtuous thoughts rise, brief and transient in the world. Virtue thus is weak and always evil is of great and overwhelming strength. Except for perfect bodhicitta, what other virtue is there that can lay it low? In these verses, the initial arising of bodhicitta is described as transient and very frail. Pema Chodron points out that in other Mahayana teachings, we hear that what is transient and insubstantial are actually our neuroses that lead us to be stuck in samsara, but that that our true nature is Buddha nature, 
is the mind of awakening, is bodhicitta. So which is it? Are the emotional upheavals transient? Are they just clouds that block the sky of our true nature? Or is bodhicitta fleeting and transient and rare? Pemacharjan says that these two verses are not from the point of view of the Buddhas and the bodhisattvas who know their true nature. They are from our own point of view. We are the ones who feel powerless. We may feel like we don't have what it takes or that we are too weak. Pema Chodron says that even with the occasional glimpse of sky, it all seems too hard, too painful. She says that instead of experiencing our hang-ups as solid and everlasting, rather than definitely believing that they're me, we could say, this is just weather. It will pass. This is not the fundamental state. So even though we may feel that we don't have what it takes, what we need to do is reorient from a place of understanding that that's not our true nature, that our weakness is passing, that what we see as personal shortcomings are not solid and everlasting. They're not me. They're transient and they will pass. Shantideva is telling us that these glimpses of our true nature have great power. Through them, we see the power that is available, not the transient power of politicians or, or, or influencers or what have you, but the true power of connecting to our true nature. Shantideva goes on and says, for many eons deeply pondering, the mighty sages saw its benefits, whereby unnumbered multitudes are brought with ease to supreme joy. Shantideva knows that we can take these glimpses of bodhicitta and by recognizing them and nurturing them, they will grow. The mighty sages, it says, for many eons deeply pondering, they have seen that only this good heart of bodhicitta can keep us from getting hooked in our old self-centered ways. Pema Chodron says that we may ask why bodhicitta has such power, and perhaps the simplest answer is that it lifts us out of self-centeredness and gives us the chance to leave our dysfunctional habits behind. Everything we encounter becomes an opportunity to develop the outrageous courage of the Bodhi heart. Think about what we're, we're up against. Take climate change, for example. We're up against climate change, so let's dig. What causes climate change? Human activity. Let's dig. Human greed. Dig a little deeper. Self-centeredness. We know that everything that causes suffering springs from self-centeredness. So if our true struggle is against self-centeredness, then the most powerful means to combat our own suffering, 
society suffering, the suffering of all beings, must be something that can combat our self-centeredness. And that is bodhicitta. By aspiring for all beings to be free of their suffering, we free ourselves from our own myopic, claustrophobic perspective. And then life becomes bigger than ourselves. When that happens, we can cultivate a sense of shared humanity. Trungpa Rinpoche used to say, the essence of Mahayana is thinking bigger. Compassionate thinking is bigger thinking. Shantideva goes on in the next verse to say, those who wish to crush the many sorrows of existence, who wish to quell the pain of living beings, who wish to have experience of a myriad joys, should never turn away from bodhicitta. Those who wish to crush the many sorrows of existence. This is talking about our own suffering. If you want to end your own suffering, bodhicitta is the answer. If you want to quell the pain of living beings, in other words, if you want to end the suffering of others, bodhicitta is the answer. And if you want to have experience of a myriad joys, bodhicitta is the answer. Pema Chodron says that the shift in Mahayana Buddhism is that we want to end our personal suffering so we can help others put an end to theirs. This is the essence of bodhicitta. At some point we realize that what we do benefits ourselves, what we do for ourselves benefits others, and what we do for others benefits us. This is why His Holiness Karmapa talks so much about interdependence, although he wrote a whole book about it called Interconnected. He, he likes to use the word interconnection more than interdependence because especially we in the West kind of uh, tend to react negatively to the idea of dependence on others. Um, so he says interconnection. We come to realize that all that we do to awaken our own heart affects all of our contacts. And it if it affects those that we have connection to, and there are many, then it affects those that they have connection to and those that they have connection to. Haven't we realized now in this 21st century how small the world really is, how, how quickly those connections um, cover the entire globe? How one person falling ill on the other side of the planet has this much effect, how much, how similarly it is that one person developing radical love and becoming a courageous hero of love will also ripple out from us around the globe. Shantideva says, should bodhicitta come to birth in those who suffer chained in prisons of samsara, in that instant, they are called the children of the blissful one, revered by all the world, by gods and humankind. Uh, 
chained in prisons of samsara. We are currently chained in prisons of samsara. Prisons of suffering. Another translation says in dungeons of samsara. What is samsara? Samsara is being trapped in the repetitive habits that cause us to suffer. But even while we are trapped, we can feel kindness and empathy for others. With just a momentary flash of bodhicitta, in that instant, we become a child of the Buddhas and worthy of respect. This is for everyone. This isn't only for monks or famous spiritual leaders. Whatever spiritual or whatever preconception that you use to, to minimize yourself, being American or whatever, whatever it is that makes you think that you're not worthy or, or can't do this, put that out of your thinking. Bodhicitta, a flash of bodhicitta is just a thought away for any of us. And the training in bodhicitta will help nurture that and help us grow in that, just as it did for everyone else who has, has walked this path. Everyone in the dungeons of samsara is a candidate for awakening the compassionate heart. Shantideva goes on to say, for like the supreme substance of the alchemists, it takes our impure flesh and makes of it the body of a Buddha, jewel beyond all price, such as bodhicitta. Let us grasp it firmly. Since the boundless wisdom of the only guide of beings perfectly examined and perceived its priceless worth, those who wish to leave this state of wandering should hold well to this precious bodhicitta. All other virtues, like the plantain tree, produce their fruit, but then their force is spent. Alone, the marvelous tree of bodhicitta constantly bears fruit and grows unceasingly. As though they pass through perils guarded by a hero, even those weighed down with dreadful wickedness will instantly be freed through having bodhicitta. Why do those who fear their sins not have recourse to it? Just as by the fire that will destroy the world, great sins are surely and at once consumed by it. Its benefits are thus unbounded. As the wise and loving Lord explained to Sudana. Now, Pema Chodron explains this whole section as a series of analogies for bodhicitta. The first is alchemy. Bodhicitta can use anything, any ordinary thought, word, or deed to transform our self-absorption. I, I think in one, that's, that's one of the benefits of mindfulness. With, with a strong development of mindfulness, we can notice our every thought, word, and deed, and mindfully transform that self 
absorption into bodhicitta. The second analogy compares bodhicitta to a priceless jewel. The third compares it to a wish-fulfilling tree that produces fruit forever. Now let's look at this one. Shantideva's analogy of a tree that bears fruit forever and grows unceasingly is being compared not to harmful actions, but to ordinary virtues. Other virtues produce fruit, but they only produce fruit once, and their benefit is spent. Of course, we want to practice all virtues. There's nothing wrong with other virtues, but they are limited in scope. When we perform an action to benefit one person, there is merit there. But when we perform that same action with the desire to wake up out of love for all beings so that we can help all other beings wake up as well, the scope of that benefit is unlimited and insurpassable. The next analogy says that bodhicitta is a friend or hero or guide or protector who keeps us out of trouble. Yes, our love and compassion can keep us out of trouble. Who knew? <laughs> and finally, bodhicitta is compared to a great fire that burns up our negative tendencies. Pema Chodron says that ordinarily we buy into our negative habits acting them out or turning them against ourselves, reinforcing and strengthening these tendencies. But Bodhisattva's practice in the middle of the fire, this means they enter into the suffering of the world. It also means they stay steady with the fire of their own painful emotions. They neither act them out nor repress them. They are willing to explore an emotion's ungraspable qualities and fluid energies and to let that experience link them to the pain and courage of others. Again, and you hear this repeated again and again, the bodhisattva path requires courage. We're not practicing this from a mountaintop away from everything. We're practicing this in the midst of our own suffering, of our own painful emotions, and around suffering people, in the midst of suffering people. Shantideva later says, for when with irreversible intent, the mind embraces bodhicitta, willing to set free the endless multitudes of beings, in that instant, from that moment on, a great and unremitting stream, a strength of wholesome merit, even during sleep and inattention, rises equal to the vastness of the sky. This, this just becomes so inspiring. Our intention alone can become irreversible. It can bring benefit equal 
to the vastness of the sky. If we are feeling powerless, powerless because we don't think we have the resources or the influence to make a difference, it could be that we just don't yet possess the understanding to see the benefit that we can create. Um, and that's why we rely on our teachers who, who have practiced longer and can see the benefits that we create with our practice and with our love and compassion. Our intention alone can bring benefit equal to the vastness of the sky. Pema Chodron says, this is the happiness of egolessness. Shantideva goes on to say, if with kindly generosity, one merely has the wish to soothe the aching heads of other beings, such merit knows no bounds. No need to speak then of the wish to drive away the endless pain of each and every living being, bringing them unbounded excellence. I love what Pema Chodron has to say about this. She says, this is the logic of the Mahayana. If it is wonderfully compassionate to wish to take away one person's headache, then it is infinitely more vast to nurture the compassionate wish to remove all suffering for all beings. But that does bring up the dilemma of a bodhisattva, which is to look at it logically and say, this is impossible. There's no way to eliminate the headaches of all beings, let alone to bring them all to enlightenment. But this is the aspiration of the bodhisattva. Bodhisattvas don't worry about results. They just open their hearts in an inconceivably big way, in that limitlessly big way that benefits everyone they encounter. So don't worry about whether or not this is doable. The intention is vast. I love the phrase of a bodhisattva vow. I think it's from another tradition. It says, sentient beings are numberless. I vow to liberate them all. Bodhisattvas do not shy away from the impossible task before them. They stand defiant, ready to work until every last sentient being is free from suffering. That is how limitless is bodhicitta. And by the way, I'll pause here. Another inspirational part about bodhicitta is understanding that there are bodhisattvas who have already made this vow and who are currently working and who see you and your struggle and your suffering and have compassion for that and their blessings are available to us as well. Shantideva goes on to say, this aim to bring the benefit of beings, a benefit that others wish not even for themselves, this noble jewel-like state of mind arises truly wondrous, never seen before. 
Hemachodron says that when Shantideva talks about those who do not wish this benefit even for themselves, he's referring to most of us. What is our daily MO? Working with habitual patterns is usually not our priority. Most of us are not impassioned about de-escalating our emotions and prejudices or awakening bodhicitta. This true good is not our main focus, and I'm speaking broadly here. We'd simply like to get through the day without mishap, and we definitely don't want to be bothered by those who give us grief. Pema Chodron says that without the, the aspiration for freedom for ourselves, how could we want this for others? We can only wish for them what we value for ourselves. This opportunity to awaken bodhicitta is so precious and so rare. To experience something that liberates us from the narrow-mindedness of our biases and preconceptions is, as Shantideva says, truly wondrous. What's more, there is no one who cannot experience this if they're willing to give it a try. Shantideva says, this pain-dispelling draft, this cause for joy for those who wander through the world, this precious attitude, this jewel of mind, how shall we calculate its merit? One moment here. Lama Kathy calls us bodhisattvas in training. Pema Chodron uses the phrase baby bodhisattvas. But she says that even we baby bodhisattvas don't have to design our lives to escape the chaos of the world. We can go into the thick of things and work with whatever we find. Samsara becomes our practice ground, our boot camp, so to speak. If we find we continually get hooked into the drama, we temporarily retreat to work on ourselves, but our passion is to alleviate ever greater depths of suffering and meet ever greater challenges with equanimity. Shantideva says, if the simple thought to be of help to others exceeds in worth the worship of the Buddhas, what need is there to speak of actual deeds that bring about the weal and benefit of beings? For beings long to free themselves from misery, but misery itself they follow and pursue. They long for joy, but in their ignorance, destroy it as they would their foe. Again, Shantideva praises the benefits of an ordinary altruistic thought while adding how much greater it is to actually follow through. So we've been talking about intention. Now we're going to talk about the, the activity to help others at the most meaningful level, we must address our own confusion. As Shantideva points out, although we long to free ourselves from misery, it is misery itself 
we follow and pursue. We, the first awakening to the Buddhist path is the awakening to the understanding that what the way we've been moving through the world to this point is what has been causing our suffering. Pema Chodron says, we may assume we do crazy things intentionally, but in truth, these actions aren't always volitional. Our conditioning is sometimes so deep that we cause harm without even realizing it. We long for joy and do the very things that destroy our peace of mind. Again and again, we unwittingly make matters worse. If we're going to help people get free, we have to work compassionately with our own unfortunate tendencies. Shantideva goes on to say, joyous and devoted thoughts will yield abundant fruits and greater strength. Even in great trouble, bodhisattvas never bring forth wrong. Their virtues naturally increase. To them in whom this precious jewel of mind is born, to them I bow. I go for refuge to those springs of happiness who bring their very enemies to perfect bliss. So he says that even in adversity, even when things seem dark and hopeless, even in a pandemic and upheaval, bodhisattvas never bring forth wrong. Their virtues naturally increase. Pema Chodron says that frequently in times of adversity, we become afraid, striking out in anger or indulging in various addictions in hope of escaping our pain. Shantideva says that bodhisattvas let the suffering of adversity soften them and make them kinder and that we can aspire to do the same. I will confess that as, uh, as the world began to change and seem darker some years ago, um, my natural response was to harden, not to soften. And that's been a struggle for a long time and this, this teaching of softening in the midst of adversity is, is a, a drink in the middle of the desert. This is, this is the teaching that I, for one, have needed to hear for a long time. Pema Chodron says this bodhisattva path takes some work. And that's an understatement. <laughs> Our habitual patterns are very entrenched. Nevertheless, when hard times make us more selfish and withdrawn, we could see this as our moment of truth. Transformation can occur right in this painful place. Instead of the evil of more neurosis and harshness, adversity can bring about humility and empathy. By bringing us to our knees, so to speak, it can tenderize us and make us more capable of reaching out to others. Pema Chodron 
closes her discussion of this chapter with the following paragraph. Knowing where the root of happiness lies saves us from escalating pain. If someone insults you, for instance, you may long to retaliate, but you know this won't benefit anyone. Instead, in the very grip of wanting to get even, you can say to yourself, may the rage that I feel toward this person cause both of us to be liberated. This is the aspiration of a young bodhisattva, one in the process of learning to let go. Even if we don't genuinely feel it, we're able to say, may this seemingly negative connection be our link to waking up. Lama Kathy teaches a similar formula, one you may use in everyday life about every emotion you experience. It's a good example of bodhicitta being the alchemy to transform every thought and emotion. If we are dealing with um, anger, for example, we can say, may every bit of every sentient being's anger be contained in this anger of mine. May all sentient beings have the seed of virtue of being free of anger. May this anger of mine contain all their disturbing emotions and until they attain Buddhahood, may they be free of such disturbing emotions. This is, by the way, uh, available on Lama Kathy's website, lamakathy.net, if you want to, uh, to get the script for that. This is a powerful practice to nurture bodhicitta in difficult times. This is a practice that takes those everyday upheavals, the big things we see on the news, or the, the tiniest little recognition of self-grasping. Every, every emotion that we have, and if we are mindful to use it, can transform that into bodhicitta, the powerful, powerful bodhicitta. So this is the first Sunday Dharma talk of the new year. And I hope it has inspired you to make 2022 all about growing in bodhicitta. I hope you are lifted as I am by the hopefulness and power of the bodhisattva path. We don't need to be discouraged. We don't need to be angry. We don't need to feel powerless. We are called to grow our compassion in both our intention and in our actions. We can be heroes of love, ever expanding the scope of our love until it is limitless, joyously working for the benefit of beings without end. I'll close with one of Shantideva's most famous verses from chapter 10. He says, and now as long as space endures, as long as there are beings to be found, May I continue likewise to remain, to drive away the sorrows of the world. We have some time for questions and comments. You can put them in the meeting chat, and I will read them out and do my uh, best to respond uh, to any questions.
I don't see any yet, so we will we will wait a few minutes to see um, if there are any any questions or comments from from the audience. I hope you've had a good start to 2022. Uh, Lama Kathy often says that that um, we as Buddhists. Um, get to have two two new years so we we get the new year uh that we celebrate every year on january 1st and then not long after that we have the lunar new year um that we that we celebrate and and both of these are are um times to really reflect and uh honestly it's my favorite holiday i love the new year. I love the energy behind the new year where we reflect and try to work out how we can do things different. And no matter how we do with it, um, that intention to to uh, work with the the uh, throughout the, the new year is 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 just uh, I just love that energy. Um, so I'm not seeing any questions. I thank you all for your kind words. I thank you for joining. Um, and I hope you uh, have found some benefit in it. Um, I always get the most benefit in, uh, in the preparation of these talks. Um, I learn so much from them. Let's take a minute now to dedicate the merit of this talk, of listening to this talk, and the virtue from it. There is great virtue in learning to follow the bodhisattva path, and specifically when we do that for the benefit of all beings. So let us not hold this virtue to ourselves. May the virtue we have generated today enrich all beings, that they may come to happiness and freedom from suffering. I thank you all. I look forward to seeing you all soon, as soon as we can. Thank you for joining us for this week's Dharma Talk. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you did, please subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. To learn more about the Columbus Karma Texum Choling or to donate to support our Dharma Talk series, please visit our website at columbusktc.org. The opening and closing music for the podcast is Tibetan Flute Song by Tamding Arts at tamdingarts.com. Please join us again next week for another Dharma Talk.